This morning I want to speak to you about the great I am. There are those that have done great and studious and exhaustive studies on the Bible. Dake's commentary is one of the best. And there are 700, over 700 instances of I am's in the Bible. Speaking of the Lord God when he says, I am. It is a declaration. It is a proclamation of who he is. And so we're going to look at a few of those, but there are over 700. There's 500 in the Old Testament and 200 plus in the New Testament. That's quite a bit. There's so many of them. Just, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, we're going to cover a few of those. And in the New Testament, we're going to cover a few of those this morning. But I want us to see one thing. That a declaration such as I am is usually got attached to it previous or after coming into, it is a preface or it is a statement after of when conflict is involved, when a fight is involved, when a battle is involved. In Romans 11.33, let's start with this. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. That was given to Paul. Great, vast knowledge and wisdom of God. He was caught up into the heavens. He had dreams and visions, miracles, resurrection power flowing through him. And he says, how unsearchable. You could paraphrase that and say, Paul didn't touch the tip of the iceberg. It's unsearchable, the greatness of God. And you know what? God knows that. And so he spends, invests, I should say, into our lives, revelations in his word, backed up by experience and testimony of others and ourselves, of who He is. When you think you know God, you, you pretty much have to say, I haven't, I haven't even gotten close. Paul said, Paul said, I want to know Christ. He said that to the Philippians. I want to know Christ. Can you believe that after serving the Lord as a, an apostle, a missionary? And all of the things that he had seen and his visions of the Lord and the way he even came into the kingdom is beyond belief. Beyond unbelief in his case. And in all of that he says, I want to know the Lord. I want to know him. And you could look at that and say, Paul, that's really strange, but I thought you knew him. Years ago, there was a lady that came into our our food ministry uh, that we had, and we touched so many lives, and and uh, we we worked diligently in that. That's probably the the greatest thing, and no doubt was the greatest thing that our church ever did in five and a half years of our being there. In that time, was the greatest seeds of the gospel and the glory of God being planted when people come in and we'd talk with them. And I looked at one lady and. And I knew she was, she didn't know the Lord. 
She did not know the Lord. And I told her, I said, I need God. Her eyes got really big. And she looked at me and she says, you need him? I thought you had him. And I looked at her and I said, you don't understand. Do you want to know him? She said, yes. Those that think they know him have a piece of the pie but are missing the rest of it. In fact, all of us. Paul said, we look through a glass darkly. And when the Lord shows up, he says, I am. And we're going to look at a few of those this morning. But I want you to, to, to know one thing this morning. And I hear it, I hear it in the Spirit. It, and I'm praying for clarity continually. But I hear this in, by the way of the Holy Spirit this morning and, and is moving here. That he, that he wants us to know this. That the entirety of the gospel is centered, if you could boil it down to one, just one element out of the many, it is this. The topic of the whole Bible is deliverance. Deliverance. And I pray that you'd see that a little greater in the next few moments. We were speaking about uh, Pastor Bob Moody this morning and and my uh, beloved friend who's gone on to be with Jesus, special man. He was a special friend. We spent time together. We'd talk together. We'd laugh together. We'd pray. We'd praise together. I heard him say this. This is 20 years ago. And he said the entirety of Jesus' ministry can be summed up in one word, deliverance. When you look at the word salvation in the Old Testament, it means three different things. To be saved, to be healed, to be delivered. As surely as you are saved, you are healed. Grab a hold of that. Declare that over your life. Maybe sometime, God willing, I'll, I'll point out a few of those instances in the New Testament with Jesus and, and that when salvation and healing go hand in hand, you can't separate them. And surely as it is deliverance, Jesus would set people free from demons. He would set, he set us all free from sin, from darkness. If we don't have that, what do we have? The entirety of the Bible is summed up deliverance. That's the main element. And I know there are some of them here, some of us here this morning, and it'd be really easy because I, you know, I've done this. We, we oversimplify that word deliverance. We oversimplify it or we overcomplicate it. But oversimplification meaning this, that, that we believe that those who who need deliverance are those, you know, they've been watching The Exorcist too many times back in the day, but they think that they're demon-possessed and they, you know, and they, you know, spit stuff out their mouth and... Oh, it goes, it goes much further than that. Your neighbor needs deliverance. The one across the street needs deliverance. 
Jesus said, work while it is yet day because the dark comes when no man can work. Darkness is settling in upon us. You and me, we have clarity. We walk in the light. We are light. Jesus has given us that. He is the light and we are in him. So when the Lord shows up, there's usually, with an I am, there's deliverance needed. There's a conflict that's going on. There's a battle that's going to happen or just happened. I want us to look, first of all, at this one point, and it's found in Genesis 15.1. You know the story. Um, excuse me, I, I better back up. Um, in Genesis 15.1, the story of Lot at Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember that story? Lot chose to live in Sodom, okay? He chose to live amongst the worst, the vile, and the whole others. You know, Ezekiel 16 talks about the sin of Sodom. Beyond that, he chose to go there. Lot's lots flocks, his herds, his servants grew so great under his care, under God's blessing, out in the wilderness with his uncle Abraham, that their, their servants started fighting over grazing land and started fighting over water because, because one's wealth was as big as the other's and they were just clashing and the land wasn't big enough for them. Abraham says, Lot, I'm going to give you the choice to go where you want to go. Go to the left, I'll go to the right. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. So Lot looked and he saw the plain that was well watered. He chose the easy life. Abraham continued in a life of labor, uh, a life of discipline, walking with his God in the mountains, in the desert. It doesn't matter where. He just went where God showed him. But Lot chose on his own to go and live in Sodom. Well, over the course of time, they were attacked and overcome by a coalition of ten kings. Now, you know, ten kings are going to have ten armies. And they came and they carried Lot and all of his wealth, his family, everything he had, and all the wealth of Sodom and Gomorrah, all of that, carried it away captive. And it came to Abraham. Abraham was not a warrior. God did not call Abraham to be a warrior. He called Abraham to be the father of nations through which salvation would come. But just because you're not called to war doesn't mean you're going to not have any fights. Just because you don't see yourself as a warrior doesn't mean you aren't going to have a fight now and then. And all God wants you to do is to stand up. All God wants you to do is show up and stand. The battle is the Lord's. Well, when Lot was carried off, Abraham says, I can't have any of this. He's family. He brought together about 315 men or 316 men. He says, we're going to go and fight. We're going to get Abraham and his family back. And he did, without one loss of life. 
Now think about that. One man and his camp brought together men who knew how to fight, but they weren't an army. And they took on professional soldiers of a ten-king coalition. Whooped them. Without loss of life. God didn't say, oh, Abraham, I want you to go and fight. And there was no word in the Bible about that. All we know is this. He did the right thing. He knew what to do. He went and did it. And I do believe the Lord would just stand back going, let's... Let's let this happen with Lot. You know, he kind of deserves it. That's where he's hanging out. Let him go. But we're going, to have, we're going to have Uncle Abe rescue him. Let's watch this, you know. I think the Lord puts many of us into those situations. I know he does with me. He sits up there and says, let's just see what Rip does here. <laughs> you know we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. What do you think they do? Well, beyond that. In Genesis 15.1, after the war, after the fight. Oh, and you, you do recall this, that, he, that Abraham said he would not take any of the spoils. Remember, it was one of the kings, uh, the king of, of Sodom. And interesting teaching there. I had a whole sermon based on that one time about where, where this, uh, the king of Sodom was standing right next to Melchizedek. Melchizedek was, he is a figure of a pre-incarnate Christ. It was Jesus. It was Jesus before he was the Messiah. It was the Son of God. He was called the Son of Righteousness. Came out of nowhere with bread and wine and said, Abraham, let's have communion. Mysterious figure. And Sodom, the king of Sodom, he's trying to butt in and trying to interrupt that most holy moment. And he butts in and he tells Abraham, Abraham, you can have everything. You know, just give me my people back. Abraham said, I wouldn't take one rotten sandal from you, lest anyone say that I was not delivered of my God. That was a test. And so in that time, after Melchizedek came and they had communion together, the first recorded uh, incidents of of that taking place, and aside from that, God shows up in Genesis 15 in 1. We can read about this. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am... I am shield personified, the embodiment thereof. I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. Not just great reward, not just reward. Read that. I'm reading on the back wall. I can turn around and point this way if it's less confusing. Do you see that? I am. I am your shield. That's why you didn't lose one man. I am your great and exceedingly great reward. I am, and Abram, you passed the test. You didn't take as one thing your reward for the battle that you went through. 
Abraham knew his God. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. He wouldn't take one thing from the ungodly kings, king of Sodom. He wouldn't take one thing from him. He said, just give me my family back. Keep your stuff because I am rich in God. God shows up a little bit later in a vision. He says, I am. I am. Oh, boy. There are many times we see his greatness. I dare say most of the time we see of his greatness in the midst of a battle that we're going through. He won't leave you. He won't forsake you. In fact, he will go before you and fight for you if you'll let him. But too often, we want to get together and go and go do something that we think is the right thing to do because it's not wrong. But God is not necessarily in it. He's got a better plan and we go and we try to ramrod things through. We will not wait upon the Lord for it to take place. I've been in ministry for a while. I've seen this. I've seen too much. I've known the temptation myself. What do I do? There's the wringing of hands. What do I do? Oh, oh, what do I do now? I don't know what to do. I, I got to do something. People expect me to do something. People will think I'm lazy if I do nothing. They will think I'm just out of touch if I do nothing. I'm a leader. I must do these things. Welcome to being a pastor. I'm going to do nothing until I know the Lord is putting it before me to do. And there are a lot of people that wouldn't have that. They just love to pace. Oh, God's got to do something. You've got to do something. Oh. (laughs) And you know what it matters? What really? (laughs) None of that really matters because I look at it now and, and I think, I'm still here. They've all gone on. 40 years. God willing, you'll know a little bit more. When we get to heaven... We will know a little bit more. I am is over you. Second one is probably the more famous. You'll turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Here's Moses. He's tending flocks. There's Israel's great deliverer, and he's tending flocks. Oh, what a menial task. But you know what? He was thankful because, you know, he had a wife, he had a family, and, and, and he had loved ones around him, and, and he had peace out in the desert, and, and he was tending flocks for 40 years. He tended flocks, and he was cool with that because he got kicked out of Egypt. Moses had Three forties. Every forty is a test. Biblically, there's a pattern to numbers. And his first forty years, he grew up in Pharaoh's courts. The second forty years, he learned how to pastor sheep. 
His last 40 years, he learned how to pastor God's flock. Some things take a while. And so just out of a normal day, he's walking around by the mountain and, and all of a sudden there's this bush. You know, you know the burning bush, the, one that, the bush that burned but was not consumed. You know, when you see something on fire, you know it won't be long before you have to throw something else on it if you want to keep it burning. This is a fire that didn't go out. This was a holy fire. And the voice of God himself called out, Moses, take off your sandal for the ground you are standing on is holy. Take off your sandals. So he took off his shoes, his sandals, and and he's standing with bare feet before the Lord. And God begins to unfold his assignment. And Moses was scared to death. He was reluctant. Oh God, you could have picked someone better than me. And the Lord became angry. Because Moses, he believed, but he didn't want to. (laughs) He didn't want to receive the assignment. Oh, he knew God at that point. How could you not? How could you not? He knew his family heritage. God's people were in bondage for 40 years. And the Lord God, Adonai, says to Moses, Go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Then Moses says to God, Indeed, indeed, When I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What do I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moses was going to be sent between a rock and a hard place. He's going to be sent to the children of Israel that have all but forgotten in 400 years, forgotten their God. That would not be an easy bunch. Even when they did know God, they didn't do so hot in following him. Slavery does that. 400 years, they were brought up in slavery. They died in slavery. Generation after generation after generation in the fullness of time, according to the promise given to Abraham, I am going to bring them back to this land that you're walking on. And so there was going to be a real fight for Abraham, for Moses to go to Pharaoh and to the children of Israel and try to convince the children of Israel first to the elders of, of Israel, I am sent me. And he's going to set us free. And they're like, okay. Oh, Moses knew that was coming. That's why he said, I, they're going to want to know who, why I'm even here. <laughs> and so he gave them three on-demand signs and wonders to do. Miracles. 
you know, with one where you can throw Aaron's rod down and pick it up again, and it's a snake, and then it's a stick, and then it's a snake, a stick. You can, you can put your hand in your vest, pull it out, it's leprous. Put it back in, it's back to where it was, as it should be. He could do that on demand. How about the water? He could pour, he could pour water out and it would turn to blood, red blood. He could do that. He was he did that. He did the two out of the three. The one was for Israel, but the other two were for Pharaoh. And and if that wasn't enough to tell you that he had something going behind him, if that wasn't enough, all he had to do is I am sent me. I didn't come here on my own. I am sent me. Deliverance. Four hundred years of silence from God. Four hundred years since Joseph died. (laughs) You know, Israel went down into Egypt, a family, and came out a nation. It was in that 400 years that you think that, that God had forgotten a people? No. He hovered over them in love, kept them together, and they grew. They were having so many children. You know the story about Moses. They had so many children that they were growing a huge nation, and it caused Pharaoh to get really nervous and say, I want the males killed. Moses was the firstborn of that, if you'll have it. Put him in a boat, sent him down a river. Pharaoh's daughter had him. He was brought up as one of them. Amazing story. 400 years. Where was your family 400 years ago? That'll give you a grasp of how how long that would be. Where was your family 400 years ago, do you know? I find the mystery of family trees just absolutely incredible. And when the Lord said to Moses, go tell him I am sent you, you know what that did? That created a mystery. That created a mystery to say, seek me out. If you want to know who I am really is, why don't you come and seek me out? Why don't you find out more about me? Do you like a mystery? I do. I love mysteries. Not that I read books that are, you know, Agatha Christie stuff. No, that's not my kind of mystery. I love history. I love the, the mysteries that, were, that are unsolved through many years. I kind of get intrigued, but I try not to go down that rabbit hole because they can absorb too much of my time and, and my, my focus. And, and, but there's something interesting. When God said, I am sent you, what it did was it created a mystery that would cause them to seek him. When we find ourselves in trouble, don't we do that? The writer of Hebrews says, God rewards those who diligently seek Him. Oh, we seek Him. People seek Him. But what do we do with our findings of that great mystery? The Lord says, if you diligently... Oh, there's that word. You know, that verse would have been pretty cool. You know, I will, I will reward those who seek Me. He's, that's not the way it was written. The way it is written is diligently diligently and if you seek him you'll find him israelites sought him and found him how about joshua 
when Moses showed up, Joshua, he's all lit up. Yeah, I'm ready to fight. Let's get this thing done. And he went out into the wilderness and he trained up an army that would protect Moses. It's a mystery. I am who I am. I love that part. Here's another one. I've got two more to do here. Go to John eleven seventeen. Lazarus. You know the story. Two miles down the road, Mary and Martha, their brother Lazarus was ill and sick and was going to die. Two miles down the road. Jesus heard about it. You know, two miles, that's just a nice little hike. Get that done, no problem. He didn't show up for four days. When he heard about it, he waited. Again, do you see this? If he would have come there, went there at the behest of a human request, an earthly request to go and do a miracle of healing, he could have done that, but that wasn't God's way to do things. Instead, here's Mary and Martha. The wringing of hands. The wringing of hands. Oh, where's Jesus? You know, if he'd just get here and heal Lazarus. And then soon the word came to them, Lazarus is dead. We need to bury him. All of their hopes and dreams in Christ were buried at that moment. And so the Lord, he shows up four days later. He had to deal with Martha And then he had to deal with Mary. And both of them, their faith was absolutely shot through. And they were looking, trust, trust. They had a difficult time with trusting and following Jesus from that point on. And they said, you know, where were you? So they went to the tomb. Long story short, they went to the tomb. And they're standing at the tomb I believe it was Mary that said, I know that whatever whatever you say, God's going to do it. Whatever it is that you say, it will be done. And one of the statements that he said, he's getting ready to roll away the stone, have the guys do that. They said, Are you serious? Roll away the stone? He's been dead for four days. By now his body stinketh. Four days. They're like, yeah, okay, nevertheless. Jesus said, he found that he'd already been in the tomb four days. And the next verse was this. He said, they had discussion of the resurrection. Oh, we know that he's going to be resurrected in the great resurrection. Jesus looked at them and said this. I am. Can you finish that? Can you finish that verse? 
You should be able to do this if you've been going to church any amount of time. I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Check this out for a moment. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection. You know, to that point, there were recordings of prophets, great prophets in the Old Testament that raised people from the dead. This was no new thing that Jesus was doing or could do or was going to do. But none of them took on the personification as Jesus did in that moment. I am the resurrection. And how did he back that up? Well, first of all, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. (laughs) And out of the grave comes Lazarus, bound in burial clothing. And he said, take those clothes off of him. Amazing, but how did Jesus back up that part, that statement, I am the resurrection? He was raised from the dead. No one took on the personification of resurrection, capital R. Jesus is the only one that did and could, and and he absolutely did that, but he's the only one who could say that. He's the only one who did say that. One of the greatest I am's now, a previous statement that I'd made about those, those declarations of I am usually come at a point of a great fight, a great struggle, a great battle. When Lazarus came out of the grave and everybody was happy and joyful, the Pharisees wanted to kill Lazarus. Wanted to kill him. Okay, Lazarus had nothing to do with that. You know, he was sick. He was in the grave. He, he passed away. He went to be in Abraham's bosom, the place of paradise, and was probably just loving it. Have you ever heard this song, Carmen? By Carmen. I mean, Carmen sang the song about Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus coming out of the grave. I, get on YouTube and get that and listen to it. It's pretty entertaining about Lazarus part of that. So Lazarus, he comes out of the grave, and they're enjoying this great miracle. The glory of God has settled in on them, and it was so good they could all be reunited in life through resurrection. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, Lazarus finds out, oh, they want to kill me too. They already wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to really kill him now. This thing's getting out of hand. Who can declare that they are the resurrection? That's blasphemous. Kill him. But yet, he declares, I am. There's a final one I want to close with this one this morning. If you'll turn with me to Oh, let's go to John, and we're going to read a a little longer piece of this so I don't have to fill in. Go to uh, John chapter 8, verses 48 
and we're uh, we're going to go uh, actually. What did I say? That was forty-eight to fifty-eight. Yes. Jesus is having it out with the Pharisees. Then the Jews answered and said to him, "Do we not rightly? Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Was Jesus a Samaritan?" Samaritans were half-breeds. They were half-Canaanite people and half-Jewish. They were called dogs. And they believed that Jesus was. See, don't we rightly say that not only are you a Samaritan, but you have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. And then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets are dead. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Whom do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, and whom I say, of whom I say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him. But I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar just like you. <laughs> I'll bet they like that one. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Okay, look at that verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Let that sink in for a minute. How can Jesus say that? He's having it out with the rulers, the teachers, the Jews, the Pharisees. He's getting right down dirty with them. Conflict, deliverance, that's what deliverance is all about. Do you know that deliverance is messy? Sometimes it takes time, sometimes it's long and dragged out, but when you see someone get free, because it's all about freedom, freedom in Christ, that's what it's all about. Freedom from sin, that's what it's all about. Freedom from darkness, that's what it's all about. Deliverance, everything in the Bible, it comes down to this one main ingredient, it's deliverance. And we've shrugged it off. We've pushed away and said, no, we're really not that bad. Oh, those people down the street down there, yeah, they're they're acting really bad, you know, worse than you. And you say they need deliverance. I've watched Satanists get saved. I watched a witch repent in my church office and get saved. So much so that she recanted. I told her to. I said, you need to do this. You need to recant. You need to throw back in the face of the devil where you got off the path. And she says, what do I do? I said, I want you to say that right now. Tell the devil that you'll have nothing to do with him anymore. 
because you have given your life to Christ. Make that witness right now, and it'll be less trouble down the road to other people. She did. Sent her to a friend's church. Friend, he calls me up, and he says, Rip, Jane just got baptized. Deliverance. You think, oh, I was never that bad. Really? When I gave my life to Christ, I knew what deliverance was right away. Didn't you? Oh. Just break one little sin. Just one little sin. Break one, just commit one little sin and see that you are just as bad. Oh, you know, who's the one that we say, oh, I, I'm not as bad as who? Hitler? Isn't that the one? Poor Hitler. <laughs> we make him to be out of the worst sinner in the whole world. No, that would be all of us. Without Christ. Deliverance will keep you on your toes. Battles will keep you on your toes. You might have someone down the street, they're a young person, they don't wear their hair just right, and you really can't tell if they're a boy or a girl half the time. You can look and shake your head, but don't turn your head. Jesus died for them too. So Jesus is having it out. It's all about deliverance. And he says, he says, you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar just like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham, has this sunk in yet? Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And they're looking at him going, How can you say that? Abraham is in paradise and you are here. How in the world can you say that? Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. One of the first verses that that I memorized back in 1981, our pastor had lost a family from the church to the Jehovah Witnesses. And he took the blame. So much so that he began to teach us what they believe and the error and why they are such an ungodly, heretical cult. One of the first verses he said was, there is one thing that Jesus said that, that marks him as the Son of God that transcends time, and that is this verse, John eight fifty eight. I memorized it, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. That's the King James Version. Most of my memorizing came from King James. Ah. 
before Abraham was. I am. That's the one that angered them. At that very moment, they took up stones to kill him. The next few verses say that he just wandered through, made their way through the crowd. They never caught up with him. Why? Because it wasn't his time yet. I am. Jackie, would you step to the keyboard, please? There are times when we go into difficulties, struggle. We don't know the outcome. We don't know how God is going to step in. And it's at that time that the devil is not too far away. If he's certainly there to help you do the wrong thing in it and start blaming God for not doing this and that. Deliverance takes time, it takes energy, and it takes maturity in Christ, knowing who you have to have the Bible memorized. You don't have to have the whole thing read through. If you had just one page of it, read that and believe it. Would you stand with me, please? Hallelujah. Father, I want to thank you. You, the great more. Even when we are caught up unto you and time no longer exists, we shall see you face to face. Father, I pray for these this morning. Is someone here that's going through some stuff, Lord? It's all about deliverance. I pray that they would dig their heels in and say, This far, no more. I am standing before the Lord. And I shall not be moved. Hallelujah. Lord, those are the ones I stand by. Lord, I lift them up right now in Jesus' name. Lord, may there be a freshness, God, that comes into their very soul. May they know it, may they see it, and God, may this day be a different day than all of the other days. May they go out of here knowing that our Deliverer cometh. Our Deliverer is standing by. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Jackie, you got a song for us?
Father, I thank you for this day, and Lord, for this week, each day, God willing, until we come back in here again, Lord, I pray a blessing upon your people this morning. May they be blessed, and Lord, in peace, and God, be with them in their travels this week, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you as you go.